In this episode, we interview Cliff Nellis, Executive Director of Lawndale Christian Legal Center, an organization disrupting the lethal cycle of violence, cultivating restorative justice, and nurturing real change to end violence in Chicago. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning into this episode. Today we have Cliff Nellis, who's a co-founder and executive director of Lawndale Christian Legal Center. Cliff, thanks so much for your time on this Friday. Thanks for having me. All right. So per usual, we like to start with the mission statement. So what is LCLC? What is the mission? Yeah, so we're actually in transition right now. So it's in the creation of, but we've the reason why we're in transition is because originally we were meeting the legal and social needs of one youth at a time as they came through the door. Over the last 13 years, we realized that the model of holistic community-based defense that we've created is a better way of doing things for the criminal justice system. So our vision now, simply stated, is to transform the criminal justice system for youth under 25. In place of what currently exists, we wanna build a new community-led, holistic model of restorative justice that heals harm in the community caused by crime and meets the legal and social needs of the youthful defendant accused of crime. So a fancy way of saying healing harm and addressing the underlying root causes of what's driving the um, behavior, if you will, of the young people that get caught up in the criminal justice system. Yep. All right. Before we get into those topics that you mentioned, I'd love to hear about you and your background. So why you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a long story. I'll give you the short one. Um, I actually grew up in a suburb of Chicago, not far from here, and had no idea uh, anything about North Lawndale. I didn't know anything about the social inequities of our society, quite frankly. I grew up in kind of a white bubble. Um, Fast forward, I went to law school, graduated from law school in 2000 from University of Chicago, clerked for a federal judge in Denver, Colorado after law school. And then um, when I, at the clerks who had clerked for I just realized that people are going to be coming in. Yeah, I didn't no, know. no worries. Okay, so, okay, should, we, do you want to shut the door? Should no, I shut the no, door? Okay, cool. Good. All right, because I, I just saw, I want to staff member it come in. It adds to the effect of us being able to be in person. So it's Perfect. nice to have this versus virtual all the time. All right, good, good. Sorry for the interruption then. I just saw somebody walk through the door. I was like, oh, that's going to get noisy. Um, so after, so I clerked for a federal judge, and most of the people who had clerked for this judge, before they went on to a big firm, yep. traveled. And so I was like, well, I want to do something cool. So I rode a bicycle from Denver, Colorado to San Diego, California, to Miami, Florida, pedal bicycle. And uh, on that trip, uh, I, well, I was an atheist before that. Long story, but I brought a Bible with me on that trip. Uh, My older brother had become a Christian, was pretty obnoxious. And I was like, (laughs) listen, dude, I'm going to debate you and tell you why you're wrong. I got uh, surprised by uh, feeling called, like I just had a change of heart. spiked right across a, a boys' correctional facility in Springer, New Mexico, the first week of the bicycle trip. And uh, I had this conversation with this prison guard where I asked for directions to a lake, nearby lake, and he said, <laughs> without me really asking him, he told me about the kids in the facility. He said they have no hope. They come in at 13, they come back at 14, 15, and they yep. spend the rest of their life in adult prison. And he said these kids have no hope like five, six times. And it was really troubling to me. I mean, I say knew the, the statistics, but it was, it, it still hit me. And, and I spent the rest of that bicycle trip praying and saying, hey, God, what can I do? You know, like, what can I do? Yeah. And uh, so that was when I felt called to work with kids in the correctional system. I actually left the law, went into seminary school. I thought I was going to be a, like a chaplain at a prison or something. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, didn't even really think about it until 2000. I guess it was probably five to seven, 
that I realized, wait a second, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> what these kids need are really good legal representation yeah. on the front end. Yeah. And if we can do it in a holistic way where we're, we're providing free legal representation, we're fighting for them in court, but at the same time, we're understanding what's going on in their home, on the block, at school, in the neighborhood, at work, to meet those needs so that they don't need another lawyer or uh, see another prison again. Wow. All right, uh, that's an amazing origin story. <laughs> so uh, for people that don't know, you mentioned this in the intro, restorative justice. What is restorative justice? <clears throat> yeah, you're going to get a lot of definitions of that. Um, I would say the way we practice it here, um, core values of it is community-based, community-led. This is something that we want to equip the people of North Lawndale um, I moved into North Lawndale in 2009, and I've lived here now for 13 years, and I'm raising my three children here. And so being in the neighborhood, being with the community, in the community, for the community, by the community, no matter what community we're in, is a core value to restorative justice. It's got to be a community-led process. So we hire from the neighborhood. 100% of our, stat, our founding board of directors were residents of North Lawndale. By our bylaws, 51% will always be residents of North Lawndale. So restorative justice, I would say principle number one is, if it's not the community leading it, then it's not restorative justice. I would say the second thing is, is that um, it's a philosophy that basically, if you juxtapose it to criminal justice, mm -hmm. you would say there's laws with prescribed punishments. You break a law, you're a class X, one, two, three, four, felon, right? Yeah. Or ABC misdemeanor. And with that comes certain lengths of prison time or felony probation eligibility. And uh, so prison and criminal records. Break law, prison, criminal records. Restorative justice would say there are relationships in a community, again, being community-minded, community-focused, community-based, community-led. There are relationships in the community that have been hurt and harmed mm -hmm. because of criminal behavior, or we'd say harmful behavior, and that those relationships need to be repaired and restored, and that that is actually a better path toward justice, that if you come together, and if justice were equivalent to healing, it asks the question of all of us, why would that not be a more just system to restore and repair the victim in the community and the young person who was involved in this and understanding what's going on in their life, not the case, but yeah. the why behind the case, yeah. the who behind the case. Yeah. Um, so truly understanding the people, <clears throat> I think it's a, a process that that allows people to be open and vulnerable, and with that, uh, healing and transformation comes. Why do you think that understanding the why behind things in this example is not the norm? Boy, that's a tough question to answer. Why is that? Because honestly, it's a great question, because yeah, it's yeah. like, it's somewhat common sense. You'd think, of course, that's a good idea. And why have we not been doing that for a long time? Yeah. I mean, truth is, is I think it's because the criminal justice system was founded on a racist principle and a racist goal. You know, when, <clears throat> when the 13th Amendment was passed and the Emancipation Proclamation was passed, the 13th Amendment had an exception clause that said, we're abolishing slavery, except for those convicted of a crime. And so you had all these, they're called black codes. Well, we call them black codes today. I doubt they were called black codes back then. <laughs> well, maybe they were though, because it was a crazy you know, yeah. time where people were blatantly racist in that way. So um, they basically made it illegal to be homeless, unemployed, 
um, you know, they had vagrants, uh, um, what's the word? I'm spacing on it now. Vag vagrant? Vagrancy? That's vagrant? No, it, uh, to be a vagrant, anyway, they yeah, were yeah, yeah. B basically being unemployed or homeless. Um, vagrancy laws. It just sounds funny right now, yeah. but that's, yeah. <laughs> chalk that up to COVID brain, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's the right word. But anyway, they had laws that allowed them to arrest recently freed people from slavery. And then because they were then convicted under the 13th Amendment and these black codes, they could then be resentenced re to what was called convict leasing, which was slavery worse than yeah. slavery. Because instead of having a property interest in the person, in other words, you would, obviously it's not good, but at least you had a, you had a personal reason to keep them healthy and alive mm -hmm. because they were working for you for free. But if, if you only have them for four years or eight years, well, then you don't literally care if you work them to death. And so convict leasing, uh, there's a documentary called Slavery by Another Name. Um, that's what followed the emancipation, the 13th Amendment in the South. And of course, in the North, we had Jim Crow. I mean, you know, we've, we've been fighting for freedom for a long time. And the criminal justice system, so you ask, why wouldn't we have be focused on healing? Well, I think in the beginning, it really wasn't designed, it was a design to keep a status quo, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, white people don't tend to fare quite as badly in the criminal justice system as black and Latino people to this day. I mean, you know, certainly back then, it wasn't even close, but to this day. Um, and so I think that's a piece of it. I think the other piece is that it's the appearance is that it's kind of soft on crime that it's not really a deterrence. Um, but here's the, here's the flip. What people don't realize, and I will say broadly speaking, this is what white affluent communities in particular, communities don't know, is, is, and they don't know because there's just not the volume of criminal justice presence, is that our criminal justice system takes a bad situation. Somebody did something wrong to somebody else and makes it worse. They take the person we, we incapacitate them, we put them in jail. We do nothing to have healed that situation. Victims don't get, don't get um, you know, any kind of healing or recovery or uh, restitution in our current system. It's, it doesn't happen. <clears throat> and so they go to jail, they come back with a felony record, they had few opportunities to begin with, they come back with fewer, nothing in the neighborhood changed. And of course you have this now revolving door and repeat cycle that that prison guard shared with me in Springer, New Mexico. It's true. But that's the system's fault, right? Like that's our way of handling a situation that restorative justice takes you in a completely different direction where that person's actually gonna take much more meaningful personal accountability and responsibility yeah. for what yeah. they did by facing the person they harmed. Uh, and then in, on top of that, repairing it. Like yeah. you come to a repair of harm agreement, then you gotta, finish it like whatever that is is you do that together uh and you know in the example with ed daniels and guillermo the robbery i was just telling you about the um you know he had to go to the pizza shop after robbing the pizza delivery guy he went to the pizza shop he cleaned up the shop he went on pizza deliveries they mm -hmm. formed a personal relationship he got trained in restorative justice he mentored younger kids in the neighborhood so th is that a better result than having him go to jail for two years and come back with a felony record that prevents him from working again, you know, in any meaningful job for the rest of his life? I would argue, of course it is. I mean, who would argue against that? But, but sadly, there are, there are people who do. There, there are also people that have the argument that don't know much about this, 
community or these communities or restorative justice that say, well, you had your chance. Um, what is the response to that? When you say you, they had their chance, you yes. mean like... They, 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 they had their life, they oh, I see. committed yeah. a felony, they had their chance. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's, I mean, again, particularly West Side, North Lawndale, yeah. young people growing up here, you know, a lot of people call the criminal justice system if you do something like restorative justice, like a second chance, so everybody deserves a second chance. Truth is, this is their first chance. I mean, they're, the, this idea that our kids had a chance not saying they don't have a chance. Yeah. Of course, there's a chance, but the the overall opportunities that our young people here in North Lawndale are uh, have in life are particularly the ones that we serve, mm-hmm. um, which isn't the whole neighborhood. Uh, and I think it is important to understand that. Um, but the ones that uh, have slipped through the cracks, uh, which is way too many. I mean, you're looking at 1,500 juvenile arrests a year in North Lawndale. That's an insane amount of arrests. Um, that, that those kids are growing up hustling on the streets as young as eight, nine, 10 to 12 years old. And like, how can you fault them for that? They're, they're trying to, they're literally helping family out with rent, you know, um, utilities, food and yeah. clothing. Yeah. yeah. So bringing it back to LCLC, yeah. what are some of the programming that you've established over the years, maybe since the start of LCLC to now yeah. uh, that are set up in a way to help the community and, and, and kind of bridge this inequity. Yeah. yeah, so I'm excited about where we are as an organization, honestly. I think it's yeah. possibly the most exciting year we've been in yet. Um, so over, I, I mentioned earlier that over the first eight, nine years, we realized, hey, we built something that's just better than the criminal justice system, the way it's currently working. And what we've now, we have an expertise that's very unique. I mean, I think it's unique to the nation, to be quite frank, um, where we have lawyers and social service providers working together in a community-based setting, a holistic setting, that's doing restorative justice practices um, for young people under 25. We only serve young people under 25 uh, involved in the criminal justice system. And what we've been able to develop over the last 13 years, I'll just highlight maybe five things really quick, is the mayor's office uh, for the last two years has called us to, um, we're actually providing a holistic team at Area One headquarters right now. It's a, there's five detective um, area headquarters in Chicago for mm-hmm. the, all of the police. We're at one of them with a legal team where we're training officers in new diversion deflection protocols. Step one is introduce them to their lawyer we do a legal social assessment then we advocate with that detective to release them back to the community for services instead of prosecution so that's diversion deflection so that's a again everything we do is really we do one thing but because the criminal justice system is multiple systems working as one this one thing has different impacts at different stages of the system so step one is what we call diversion deflection you're arrested and as a minor, you may be eligible for services in lieu of prosecution. So we're leading that work, and we are, again, championing that holistic community-based restorative justice model in lieu of the traditional methods of deflection diversion. Yep. Step two is we were the lead community agency in 2016 that designed and led the first restorative justice community court in the country. Um, it's right here in the neighborhood. It's a community court. It hears felony cases for 18 to 24-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Judge Patricia Spratz, the presiding judge over that. And that court is designed on community circle keepers, bringing victims, defendants, and affected community together to heal harm 
And when they come together in that circle process, they come to what's called a repair of harm agreement. This is kind of revolutionary. The court has no say yep. in what is in that repair of harm agreement. The community comes together and the circle decides that. <laughs> then that repair of harm agreement is entered in court, pre presented to the, to the judge. Her role is really just to review and accept it and then monitor the completion of it. So is the repair, is the things that that circle came to consensus on, um, whatever those things are, they check in to see how the progress is. Once that's completed, the case is dismissed. There's no records, no felony records, and there's no jail. It's literally just dismissed. And this is not for minors. This is for 18 to 24 year olds. Yeah. yeah. Um, first of its kind in the country, there's now one in Englewood. There's also one in Avondale and the chief judge has a vision for building more. And we want to help them do that. Um, so first is diversion deflection. Yep. We have the restorative justice community court. Uh, one of the things that we're really proud of is we're leading the first uh, randomized control trial evaluation in the nation with um, evaluating a holistic community-based defense model as compared to the local public defender's office. And so there's 660 people in this study. We inform them that we're doing it. It's voluntary to participate in it. Yeah. They're either randomized to be served by the public defenders or us. Um, and we're almost done with that. We got about a year left to consent the 660 people. So it'll be 330 served by us, 330 by the public defender's office. And it will determine the legal and social outcomes of both groups yeah. to determine whether or not this is better both legally and socially. Yeah. And I think this is going to be a, a kind of a, a, I think it's going to be a, a kind of a landmark yep. study. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. How are you tracking the impact of, of these, these new processes? Yeah. Uh, what, what do you anticipate the outcome being of that a year from now? Sure. I, well, from being the lead attorney for most of the years here, I know from personal experience that it's, this is an eminently better way of doing things. It's not that the public defender's office are bad lawyers at all. Yeah. A no. um, lot of great people, very passionate, very committed, very mission driven to help people who can't afford a lawyer and a lot of great lawyers. But they don't have the structure in place that we do. Yeah. We're in the neighborhood and community lawyering, there's benefits. You know, I mean, we serve an area, geographic area around this building. And that allows us to become experts in crime scenes over time. Right. Like I know what Douglas and Christiana looks like. I can take photos of that crime scene very easily. I can, you know, be there in 15 seconds. Yep. Somebody gets arrested in this area. There's 10th district and 11th district. We can be at that police station very quickly. You know, there's, so there's legal advantages. There's trust when you start to talk to witnesses and, you know, build your case and defense. So it's a legal side, but on a social side, it's, you know, you can't replace it. You know, the kids that come into our, our services, uh, come into a relationship with somebody who cares for them. You know, this is family. And uh, our kids, I think, oftentimes are feeling supported in ways that they've not had before. And that trust um, and the resources that we provide to them on the social side is game-changing. Uh, you know, the goal of it is, of course, that they don't need another lawyer again, right? They don't go to court again. They don't go to prison again. Um, one thing I'll say, too, just because most people don't think about this. Yeah. I think it's this is one of the reasons why we're so glad that you came here to do this interview. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't know if it'll come out in the in the video, but we're in a gym. Right? Yeah. yeah. And this is a residential street. It's Hamlin Avenue. Um, this is 16th and Hamlin in North Lawndale. This is the heart of North Lawndale. And um, I, sh I share that because um, the other thing that, so, you know, basketball gym, it's a community center. 
not what you'd think of as a legal center, yeah. but the other piece is that 80% of our budget year to year roughly goes to social services, not legal. So lawyers are actually the smallest number of our staff. Wow. For the first five years, I was like the only, I was the only staff attorney on staff. Um, we had to use fellows at the beginning. Um, so we built out social services with case managers, uh, basically social work, uh, yeah, yeah. social workers, short justice circle keepers, street outreach workers, and then a wraparound support network. We call the North Lawnmower Community Restorative Justice Hub that provides workforce development, housing, mentoring, et cetera, uh, and mental health. Of course, that's a big one. Yeah. Wow. Uh, in the future, to the, looking to the future, what do you hope LCLC is? What change do you hope has been impacted and influenced? Well, so we launched the Justice Rising Coalition a year ago, and it's our way of expanding this to scale. So we've been in, at that time, we'd been in North Lawndale for 12 years, kind of perfecting what we do. Yeah. And we said, well, this is better, right? And to transform the criminal justice, which is our vision now, and build this out, you have to, to transform the criminal justice, you have to build it to scale, right? Otherwise, you're not transforming it. And so we said, okay, well, our values are community-based, community-led. So to to build this out, we find community anchors or community partners in local communities that want to adopt our vision and model and services. Yeah. And we partner with them by adding lawyers, a leadership team to get it off the ground. But the long-term goal is to just add lawyers to their staff and train their social service. Because these are social service agencies like Precious Blood who have circle keepers, street outreach workers, case managers, doing all the things that are parts of our model, yeah. but they don't have our lawyers. Well, we can add lawyers to their team, and now you can have this up and running relatively easy with just training. So we're building out a technical assistance department here uh, with training policy and, um, well, training and model. To be the hub and kind of the hub and spoke model once this model gets spread between different communities. If there's yep questions or training that needs to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. To be the support. Like we want to, we really want to train local communities to do this in their community. We don't want people in North Lawndale to be doing this in Austin or down on the South side in Roseland and Englewood and, and Auburn Gresham, right? It's people from those communities trained and equipped leading the charge in their community. But that is a, an expertise that we can train in. Yeah. What's, how has that progress been? Is there like a, timeline on when do you think it'll be complete or yeah i would i would so we call it project 77 and project 102 justice rising coalition 77 is 77 neighborhoods of chicago yeah yeah 102 is 102 counties in illinois we're in four of the 77 yeah, right now yeah. so last year we launched we're with build in austin with breakthrough in east garfield park and the new life centers in little village in the coming month we're expected to be with target on the south side um in auburn gresham uh, one day we hope to be up with Precious Blood or someone yeah. in Englewood. Uh, we are talking to also um, Teamwork Englewood in yeah. Englewood. They're a great organization, live free. Uh, we have other partners up in Humboldt Park and North. So we're it's right now creating the sort of what are the metrics, what are the things we're looking for in a community anchor to be our partner. Yeah. Um, and we're fortunate in Chicago that there are a number of grassroots organizations yeah, doing great people. Yeah, <laughs> there are. Yeah, there are. Wow. What are what are some of the things you look for when developing those partnerships? I, obviously, I'm, I'm assuming the first thing is are they actually ingrained in the community? Are they supporting the community? Yeah. yeah. Step one is yeah. that's a bare minimum, right? They have to be located in the neighborhood. They have to have leadership from the neighborhood, board representation from the neighborhood. The other things we are looking for are, so that would say shared values, right? We have shared values, but also shared practices. We're looking for 
community-based organizations that, because uh, this isn't every community-based organization that can do what I'm about to say, that have a deep knowledge and experience of working with the street involved justice involved youth in their community. Yeah. A lot of organizations on the social service side struggle to connect with that group, right? Because they're not going to school, they're not going to church, they're not going to get their mental health appointment checked in, right? They're they're on the streets. And most social service organizations can't get them in the doors. Yeah. We have been up to our, you know, neck over our head really in youth that are heavily involved in the streets from day one, because one thing that's course somewhat inevitable is you're going to need a lawyer uh, but the advantage there is that they come to us right we're meeting a felt need so they come to us and and we're meeting them exactly where they're at and we're saying listen we're going to provide high quality defense for you but that's not all we're going to do we're also yeah. going to you know as much as we're fighting for you in court we're going to we're going to fight for you in whatever goals you know you have for your life uh, so getting you back in school jobs etc uh, where can people learn more about LCLC if they want to get engaged? Yeah, you can go to the website, lclc.net. Yep. <laughs> um, come, come visit. You know, one of the things I've learned in 13 years is nothing replaces. In fact, I can't, I, as much as this interview helps, and yep. it does, I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, I, I've talked about this for 13 years to know that it doesn't register until people come here. Yep. And there's, there's two big reasons for that. One is a lot of people, like myself, Grew up around here, never came into a neighborhood like North London, doesn't even realize the poverty is what it is. I mean, when you come into North London, you're going to see vacant lots, boarded up buildings. There's, it, it's shocking to a lot of people. So I think people need to understand that. Like, this is not, the, you know, when you said you had your chance, well, come to North London. Yeah. And then you'll start to see, okay, well, maybe the chances aren't quite an equal playing field. Second thing is, I think, you know, restorative justice, other than that, that, that free think video I just sent you, which I'll, I'd put a plug in the yeah. there too. Yeah. There's a sort of justice video that was done uh, um, at Daniels and Guillermo Diaz. There's a Tribune covered it on the front page just last Saturday. It's, it's the best video I've seen that nothing replaces sitting in circle and experiencing it. You have to do that. Get trained in it, live it, breathe it, experience it. But that video comes close to like giving you the affect of what it means to go through sort of justice process. And I think it's compelling, but it is one of those things that you kind of have to experience to yeah. really truly understand. Uh, do you have any upcoming events? Yeah, so we've got <laughs> our, our annual galas coming up on November 3rd. Yeah. Uh, there, our website for that is lclcgala.com, but you can go to lclc.net and go to the, you know, the donation pages and find the yeah. gala, but it's lclcgala.com. Um, I can't remember the location, shame on me. I'm not leading that, but it's here in Chicago. I know that. Um, and we have Robin Steinberg as our keynote speaker, the founder of the Bronx Defenders, current CEO and president of, uh, the, uh, the bail project, one of our partners. Um, we're honoring, uh, the Diaz family with our partner in justice award on behalf of their father, Guillermo and Ed Daniels is our emerging leader award awardee who was the young man that was uh, accused of that robbery. Mm -hmm. Um, the well, I guess I can say did the robbery because it's been down a circle. I'm a lawyer, so I always use accused, alleged. Uh, but I think that one's out. Uh, did it? <laughs> um, and so, uh, so our upcoming gala is 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 love to have people come there, and that, that's another opportunity to get a little closer, start to see what we do and how we do it. Yeah.
Yeah. And then you mentioned there's also a current campaign going on now. Yeah. Yeah. So we have our end of the year campaign. This is really where we make up most of the gaps for the year because um, it's our biggest source of general operating dollars to fill in the gaps of restricted funds. So we have a one a $1 million end of the year fundraising campaign. We're very fortunate to have five lead donors, 100,000 each. So what that means is that for every dollar we raise up to 500K, we have a major donor who's going to match it dollar for dollar. So we're raising 500,000 between now and December 31st, and we have five donors who are going to match that to get us to a million. Wow. All right. Is there anything you want to leave us with before we wrap up? It's usually a question I ask at the end. <laughs> well, you know, one other plug out I forgot to mention is we just broke ground on a $18 million transitional housing and workforce development center. And this is for young men, 18 to 24, who are involved in the criminal justice system. And the significance, there's 20, there's only 20 dormitory style units of housing mm -hmm. coupled with workforce development training. We, on average, it's a, we piloted it and we think it's a two to three year program. Yeah. The significance of it though, in all things we're doing, we're trying to transform criminal justice. We want community-based services, community-led services, interventions that heal harm and meet legal and social needs. So in this situation, poverty, mental health, we're yeah. alleviating that. But the significance of this facility is not just that 20 young men will have generationally changing um, futures, but um, I would say probably even maybe more importantly is this is a model to replace prisons. Yeah. This is let's build transitional housing workforce development centers for young men and young women. We're starting with young men just to keep it easy, but let's build that instead of prisons. Yeah. Wow. Well, Cliff, thank you so much for your time today on this Friday. We really appreciate it. We'll make sure to get the word out and the work that you're doing at LCLC. And um, yeah, again, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate yours, Joseph. Thanks for coming to Lawndale and doing this here in the gym. Yeah. All right. It's time to play some basketball, maybe. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this episode. If you know of a great organization or individual leaving a positive impact, we'd love to tell their story. Check us out and contact us at gtzp.org. Don't forget, for more stories like this, you could also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Instagram followers are link trees in the bio. And for podcast listeners, we are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for listening and see you again soon.